I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning, and welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB, offering up a safe space here for independent thinkers. Uh, We're going to get the band back together today. I'm going to have Starla Brown on. Uh, She is with Americans for Prosperity here in Mississippi. And we used to do a regular segment called the Freedom and Prosperity Hour on Thursdays when I kind of uh, took my break and retooled. We weren't able to do that, but we are going to do some periodic uh, interviews with uh, some representative from Americans for Prosperity. They are the people that are down at the Capitol in Mississippi, actually fighting to try to free us economically here in the state of Mississippi. So those of us that don't have time, don't have the knowledge, don't have the connections, they are actually kind of the people's lobbyist. So I'm a big fan of what Americans for Prosperity in Mississippi do, and I might be happy to uh, hear from Starla, kind of check in and see how the Mississippi legislature did in terms of freeing us economically. Uh, I've been following it a bit. I don't know I'm necessarily encouraged, but maybe Starla can tell us some bright spots in this year's legislative session. Uh, This is the first show that I've done since the devastating tornado in Mississippi, especially Rolling Fork. Holy cow. Uh, just unbelievably sad for them. I'm so sorry for the people over there, but we do know that Mississippi will step up to help. Certainly uh, all of our best wishes uh, for those and condolences to those who lost. A lot of people, a lot of people didn't make it through that storm. Very, very sad stuff. So anyway, to get on to the show today, we'll have, uh, we'll have Starla in uh, the second half of today's show. I'll start as I normally do. We'll get a couple of quotes of the day in here. One of my favorites from Mark Twain, the truth has no defense against a fool determined to believe a lie. The truth has no defense against a fool determined to believe a lie. Uh, we see this a lot these days, don't we? we, can, we there's just people, we're never going to free them from the masks. A very small segment, uh, and this is optimistic. Maybe I don't know my show could always be considered the most optimistic show. Uh, I'm pretty fed up. I'm angry about what we've allowed to happen here in this country, but a very small group of people will continue to take the boosters, but it is an increasingly small number. Uh, I would imagine we may be down into single digits now of people who are still accepting the vaccine into their lives uh, on the regular. This is certainly good news, but there are some fools determined uh, to believe in a lie. And of course, that's not just about COVID. There's a whole host of things along those lines. Uh, Nikola Tesla once said, Quote, antisocial behavior is a trait of intelligence in a world full of conformists. (laughs) Antisocial behavior is a trait of intelligence in a world full of conformists. I will say one thing. A lot can be said about this show. Uh, I'll never be accused of conformity. Uh, 
uh, when it comes to conservative talk radio and the things that I cover here. Uh, another one, somebody had put out a meme. It says this. It says, the government today is the direct result of your choosing the lesser of two evils for generations. The government today is the direct result of your choosing the lesser of two evils for generations. We have two passively uh, accepted that, haven't we? And this was an interesting one. Kind of leads me into what Americans for Prosperity is is combating there's a meme out there. It says this, 125 years ago, you didn't have to ask, the, ask permission from the government to collect rainwater, go fishing, own a property, start a business, build a home, get married, hunt, own a weapon, cut hair, sell a product, protest, sell food. And of course, that is not an exhaustive list, but it is quite stark. And I don't think people truly understand that uh, a few generations ago, you didn't have to ask for as many permissions. We live by permissions now. This meme goes on to say, you can do virtually nothing without being extorted by the government and obtaining their permission first. If you still think you're a free, you're deluding yourself. You are just a free-range human living on a tax farm. So, there we go. Um <laughs> There was uh, several different news stories that came out, and uh, I'll get to them between today and tomorrow. I'll cover as much as I can. Uh, but one that's, that's out there right now uh, as the Congress, I, I'm a big fan of Chip Roy up in Washington, D.C. I believe he is a member of the House Freedom Caucus in D.C. He's certainly one of the better ones. But I don't fall in love with politicians. As a matter of fact, that is Mike Madison's rule number one of politics. Never fall in love with a politician. Uh, uh, Chip Roy is doing something that, I, I mean, I, I guess it could be conceived as some kind of a, an improvement. But I wanted to just kind of point out something. Uh, I haven't done much on the medical mafia lately. So we're, we're going to spend a little time on the medical mafia today. The hits just keep on coming. But Representative Chip Roy, he's a Republican out of Texas, he's introduced a bill that would make tax-free health savings accounts available to all Americans. Uh, apparently, about 90% of Americans are not eligible for these health savings accounts. Uh, but Roy's bill, dubbed the Health Care Freedom Act, would change the rules to make all Americans eligible for these health savings accounts. To do this, the bill would delink eligibility for an HSA, renamed a health freedom account by the legislation from health insurance requirements. And essentially what this is, is you can put money in tax-free. It's like a health IRA. Whatever money you put into the, your health savings account, you don't pay uh, income taxes on. Well, I'm certainly all about uh, the idea of freeing any of our dollars that we make and actually bringing them home. But this one, I got to tell you, th this is more, and this is how I look at this, this is more simple behavior control implemented by the GOP to make it look like they're cutting your taxes. Taxes, of course, you shouldn't be paying in the first place. And the same Republicans who will campaign on this, and as I say, I mean, I, there is a way to look at this as a positive, but these same Republicans know that the government involvement in our disease care 
what they call our healthcare system. It's actually a disease management system. Uh, the government involvement in the first place is why it's so expensive. And so just by virtue of what I do with this show, I can't sit by and watch while people cheer their masters for allowing them to set aside money for the horrifically expensive care that government has made unaffordable. You know, people will say, thank you politicians for this sliver of freedom. Well, not actually freedom. You'll let me keep my money, but only if I spend it on medical mafia treatments or big pharma. Because if you just, just try this when they come around. Just try to load one of these accounts and then find yourself needing that money for something else that you need. Let's remember, this will be your own money, right? You went out, you earned it, you set it aside for health care, but it comes up, uh, something happens, and you need it to pay, uh, I don't know, rent. Maybe you'd like to use some of it to pay for tuition for your kid's college or their private school or, or just a car payment. See, what these HSAs will do, I can guarantee you, I haven't seen the the details of this bill, but they will punish you. They will punish you for taking money out of the big pharma slush fund, out of the medical mafia account. They'll punish you for taking that out. They'll hit you with the taxes, and then they'll levy fines on top of it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I have a health savings account. I use one of these things. If I should be able to use it, everybody should be able to use it. I might save a few nickels uh, on my taxes. But this again, these are taxes you shouldn't be paying in the first place. And I like Chip Roy, but I sure wish that he and the rest of the House Freedom Caucus would spend their time working to abolish federal income taxes, the IRS, and the Federal Reserve. But Mike, that'll never happen. We should just be happy with the control-freak crumbs that we're allowed to keep. And wouldn't it just be easier to just say, why don't you make all medical expenses tax deductible? Instead, with your new tax-free money, you can buy a single Tylenol. I actually saw a, a healthcare professional had, had weighed in on, on this on a, on a comment board. He said he worked for a hospital group. Uh, they were currently charging their customers. <laughs> They'll call you a patient, but you're, you're really a customer, right? You're a customer. If you've got insurance, you're a good customer. You're a preferred customer. They'll give you all kinds of treatments if you've got some good insurance. He said that at his hospital, they were charging $27 per tablet for a Tylenol. So if Chip Roy, if they want to do anything to actually help the American people, first of all, get the yoke of taxation, federal taxes, off our backs in the first place, and second of all, I, I don't like these these behavior modification tools, these things where we'll allow you to, you know, I won't be able to pay for my supplements with this thing. I won't be able to pay for my gym membership with the, you know, the kinds of things that actually keep you healthy and keep you out of the medical system. What it allows me to do is the government will take its boot off of my throat as long as I am a good boy and use it for the proper, the things that the government deems medically necessary, you know, big pharma, medical mafia treatments. Uh, and then they'll let me, they'll, they'll give me a small break there. When I come back, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to let you, I'm going to show you. We're going to, yeah, like I said, we're going to do a little on the medical mafia today. I'm going to show you where, where these funds that you'll be able to save tax-free. I'll show you where they're going to let you spend your money 
the people that will be on the receiving end. Well, they already are. That doesn't really change anything. People are so sick right now. I've spent a lot of time in airports recently. <laughs> it's a pretty quick way to see the state of American's health is to spend a few hours uh, in an airport. Uh, but I'm going to show you the group of people on the receiving end of all of these dollars we spent on health care. I'll do that when we come back. I Stick was born a shotgun in my hands Behind the gun I'll make my final stand Yeah And that's why they call me All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. So, I, I know, maybe I'm just, I, I'm easily I, I'm easily triggered. <laughs> I don't like this thing where the government rewards you if you do behaviors that they approve of, but they punish you through taxes if you do something that, uh, that they don't really place an importance on. So we were talking about these health savings accounts, but I ran across a couple of things. I haven't talked about the medical mafia in a while and all of their crimes against humanity, particularly during COVID. Uh, but I ran across this. This is Dr. Chris Shoemaker. I want you to listen and, and understand this. The health, uh, the elites, what, what would I call it? Kind of the ruling elites of healthcare care um, knew what he's about to tell you. They knew this going into COVID. Matter of fact, they are the ones who did the studies. And yet when COVID hit, they threw all of their research out the window because they realized that really there, there was a lot to be a lot of money to be made on COVID. So th- these are the people in the medical establishment right now. This is how they set you up to fail when it comes to your health. Listen to this, and what he's talking about is ivermectin. I've talked about this a little bit before, but I thought this was a great clip. They studied ivermectin specifically in the face of a pandemic long before COVID came. Isn't that interesting that when it finally came, uh, they didn't let us have it? North American science spent 15 years figuring out what to do with the next COVID. It was back 2002, 2003, the original SARS-CoV-1 occurred. And so all sorts of experiments went on to determine what would be a useful response were something similar to occur. And the research was done. It was research was all done by 2015, 2016. And DARPA, D-A-R-P-A, the American research arm of the U.S. military, it specifically knew and specifically recommended and passed the information on to the CDC that ivermectin in particular was the absolute number one product to be used in the event of a coronavirus pandemic. It was fully known that ivermectin and certainly hydroxychloroquine as well, were highly antiviral and immune modulatory. And those two things were the key, to modulate the immune response, plus to be antiviral as well. Those elements were both totally proven in vitro and in vivo with animals so that it was known. And of course, we knew it was completely safe for humans because these medications had been used for 35 to 40 years in humans and so that's what was sitting there, ready to be used at the next pandemic. And just stop and think about that for a second. I, I know I'm kind of covering some old ground. A lot of people already understand this. 
But what kind of depravity does it take? Uh, particularly now, I, you know, I don't believe all of the COVID numbers. This obviously was a disease that mostly attacked the elderly. Uh, this idea of a million people being killed by COVID, no, or people who had died with COVID, not from COVID. So, but they are the ones hawking their statistics. So when they saw 10,000 people die, it takes a very depraved mind to say, we've got this very inexpensive drug here. We actually, the U.S. government through DARPA, they studied this thing. This is the key to preventing a coronavirus pandemic. And they saw 10,000 people die and they went, no, no, we're not going to use that. We, we know that it would work. We've studied it. We've seen it working around the world, and we've got doctors out shouting at the top of their lungs, it's working for my patients, but no, we won't use it. And then they saw 20,000 people die, according to their own statistics, right? Uh, and then they saw 50,000 people die, 100,000 people die, 500,000 people die, a million people died, and they still wouldn't come out and say, oh, we've already studied this thing. We've got a cheap, easy solution. People can take this prophylactically. We can save a million lives using this drug, this very safe drug that the WHO itself listed as one of the top three, I believe, most essential medications on planet Earth. And they let it happen. If, if the, once the depravity of that sets in, now, a lot of your local doctors who talked it down, they don't know that DARPA studied these things, but you know Anthony Fauci did. I'll bet you Thomas Dobbs knew. Certainly, he studied the research. I mean, if a jackass talk show host out in Florida, Mississippi can figure it out, certainly Mississippi's top health authority was aware that the, our own government had actually studied these things. Yet still, they denied it to people. Matter of fact, ridiculed it and put out a tweet. The CDC knew when they put out their tweet that said, it's horse medicine, come on now, people. You're not a cow, or whatever they said. Something along those lines. And now there's this. I want you to listen to this, too. Uh, this is something maybe they didn't know at the time, but they should know now. And this is about what is happening uh, with these shots. This is a fairly new clip, but certainly worth uh, worth. Uh, mentioning here. For patients, I started noticing a month later, the bifidobacteria, this important microbe, is, this, is dropping in patients pre and post vaccination. So then I started like asking myself, wait a minute, what's going on here? I mean, is it creating a bifidophage? You know, because this is precision medicine. This is forensics of the gut, right? You've got your microbiome this way before and you've got it after and it's the same patient and only a certain group of microbes are getting killed, you got to pay attention. So then, you know, 10, 20, 30, 34 patients later, we're seeing this, you know, killing of the bifidobacteria. And so I wasn't going to, first of all, there's no way I was going to publish this because nobody would have taken that. So I decided to submit it to the American College of Gastro as a presentation, as a poster. It got accepted at the American College of Gastro as a poster, and then it won the Best Research Award as a poster. So all my colleagues called me and said, hey, I saw your data. That's incredible. How do you think this is happening? What do you, the vaccine's supposed to be you know, improving your immunity. And we all know bifidobacteria is a huge part of immunity. How do you think it's happening? So then I said, I think it's creating a bacteriophage or bifidophage. And what we noticed is in four patients, 
that we followed, which were amazing shape. You know, we followed them for um, 90 days. And then next thing you know, um, their bifidobacteria dropped to like zero, from like a million to like zero. So it kept persisting. So there was a persistence in the damage and not only 90 days, but six months, nine months later. So that was the thing that started making me panic. And then as we were looking at the microbiome of newborns um, to mothers who were breastfeeding, we started noticing that there's no bifidobacteria in those newborns. So we asked ourselves, well, I mean, because newborns are supposed to have a ton of bifidobacteria, right? 90% of the microbiome of babies is bifidobacteria. So we said, well, how come these babies born to moms that are breastfeeding that were vaccinated have zero bifidobacteria? Is the spike protein going to the breast milk, into the baby's gut, and killing whatever the baby's trying to build? Now, if you understand this, and I've done a lot about this on my health show in the past, understand your gut microbiome is incredibly important to your immune system. Now we have got newborn children who usually have her words, this is a doctor's words, a ton of this bifobacteria, which is integral to your uh, immune system. They have none to start out their lives. Your gut bacteria your gut microbiome is incredibly important to your overall health, to your immune function, to your mental function. I've done hours of programming on this over the six years that I was doing the health show. And now they're discovering this. She talks about young, healthy people. It just declines, declines. Now, I hope if you have been vaccinated, you might want to look into a good quality probiotic to replace this. Hopefully, your body's not still producing the spike protein, but last I heard, we really don't know. But you may need to work on this. This is, this is the disaster that I think across the board at uh, WYAB we warned you about. It was what we didn't know. It wasn't what we knew at the station. It was what we didn't know. And I'm going to throw this one in, too. I didn't know, but I had a pretty good guess, and I think, I'm being, <laughs> I think I'm being validated for this with all of the hysteria around COVID when I saw the glove wearing, the mask wearing, the rubbing uh, alcohol and antibiotic gels all over your Doritos bag, which is just, <laughs> it's almost funny in the first place. People were wiping down junk food that was hurting their health with an antibacterial. So they could get in there. The danger was inside of that bag, not in the outside of the bag. But I said with this hyper-sterilization of everything, trying to keep kids away from everybody else, trying to keep people away from everybody else, constantly using the antibacterial stuff on your skin. It just We were going just crazy against all germs. We were trying to sterilize our entire society. I told you that you would see headlines that say, Rise of the Superbug. There have already been a couple of these, but there's a new one. CDC warns of dangerous fungal infection spreading through the U.S. at an alarming rate. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is warning of an increasingly drug-resistant emerging fungus that the health agency pres uh, says presents, quote, a serious global health threat. It's Candida auris. It's a rare fungal disease easily spread through contact with contaminated services, surfaces or from person to person can cause severe illness in hospitalized patients and those with weakened immune systems, according to health officials. Well, we just heard the other doctor say 
If you took this jab, there's a very good possibility you have a weakened immune system. Beware of Candida auris. There is no, the hits just keep on coming. Everything they recommended, everything we did, made everything dramatically worse. And they knew it. They knew it. They knew that a $2 pill, I, actually, I take that back. I think ivermectin was something like, what, 21 cents a pill? They knew that that could have mitigated this crisis. It could have helped people. It would have made this a big, blah, big nothing. They knew it. They studied it before. The government knew it, and they hid it from us. That should not be lost on anybody. Got to take a break. We will be right back. A little bit of loneliness, a little bit of disregard, handful of complaints, but I can't help the fact that everyone can see these scars. What I want you to want, what I want you to feel, but it's like no matter what I do, I can't convince you to just believe this is real. So let go of watching you, turn your back like you always do, face away and pretend that I'm not, but I'll be here because you're all that I got. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. And we have got on the air with us Starla Brown with Americans for Prosperity. We spent the last couple of years having Americans for Prosperity come in and tell us how they are down at the Capitol fighting in Mississippi to help us economically here in the state, free us from last place in so many things, make some progress in the state. So delighted to have Starla Brown back on with us. So Starla, I wanted to just get back with you. Thanks for coming in and we'll hear a little bit about what this year's legislature looks like uh, from your point of view. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, it's kind of kind of good to be back on the show, Mike. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the thought process of getting the band back together, right? Kind of from a, a great line from a movie, but right. uh uh, good, good to be back with you and talking about things that are important to Mississippians. Um, so yeah, so this this week was conference week. Uh, we're getting very close to Sani Dai, um, and uh, you know, uh, most of us anticipate I think April second, but uh, could could be earlier. Um, right, um, I think uh, for our team, what we've been working on, uh, there were there were. I've read north of 3,000 bills uh, this year already, um, you know, for various reasons, whether everything from appropriations uh, up to policy uh, style bills. But um, I think uh, a lot of good bills kind of got drowned out in some of the the uh, larger topics that, you know, required more debate of the legislature. Uh, it's been, an, an I think, an unusual session in, in that format. And heavily debated. Um, I think disappointing for us was the type of bills from the from an economic standpoint that were um, anti-competitive, anti-free market pieces of legislation that passed and were signed by the governor and, and are now becoming law. And so, uh, you know, it's unfortunate we had a we had one bill, for example, around elect, electric vehicles, right, the EV bill that that was out. And um, and in that particular case, um, it kind of the requirements of you know, not allowing EVs to come in and sell, you know, really sell direct to the consumer and open up their own storefronts and be competitive. Um, you know, look, the te technology is coming whether you like it or not. Right. And so having a protectionist attitude uh, to keep it out of the state, uh, when I look at other states that are benefiting from manufacturers opening up uh, dis distribution centers, opening up, uh, you know, storefronts, uh, that creates jobs, right? When someone opens the door, they are hiring people. It's not being, you know, it's not run by robotics inside. And so, so the notion or some of the argument was that, you know, it was going to take jobs. Um, frankly, 
that's just not the case. And and um, unfortunately, this bill passed. Uh, we did ask the governor to veto it, but he did sign it. And um, so here we have it. And and when I look at it, you know, some of the the concept about take it takes us backwards. It's not innovative. Um, and you know, as a state, one of the things that Mississippi, I think, uh, needs to lean into is some change and transformation, right? Especially around innovation in the marketplace. Uh, the market signals are out there. Uh, people, uh, you know, I, I myself was looking for a vehicle. I actually went online, was looking, but, you know, just to, to check things out. But um, there's so many options out there, right? There's there's so many models with so many different new and innovative technologies. And if you don't want it, you don't have to buy it, right? right. We all go where we are, but to, to keep competition out of the marketplace, the person that's always going to suffer the most is the consumer, right? Because that drives costs up. It, it you know, it creates a, a middleman. And so unfortunately, fortunately that happened this session. So we're, we're sorry to see that uh, be part of the equation, but um, you know, we look forward to hopefully uh, next year, we start to get on board with more innovation. Um, another, another kind of small bill that, that uh, popped up for us and it's popping up around the country is what we call a right of first refusal uh, bill. It's uh, it's around uh, our, our electric transmission contracts and um, that also passed and, and got signed. Um, I think they'll right now, I know in Iowa in their Supreme Court, uh, I believe this past week, there was some uh, rulings on that. Texas had one in the fifth uh, circuit, which we, Mississippi resides in as well in the Fifth Circuit. Well, wh so that, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so basically it's another anti-competitive type bill in terms of allowing um, these contracts to be people to compete, you know, from other states or from other places. And it's sort of this way to be able to refuse to allow that happen. It, it, it gets a little sugar-coated in what people think it achieves, but the, the bottom line is there's a, there's a study out there. Um, I can get you a link to it and you can read away, but um, it doesn't allow those contracts to be as competitive as they could be within a state. And so, and that's all the, around power generation. Yes, exactly. The, elect the electric transmission lines, right? So we have to, you know, have these transmission lines in order for that to happen. And, and so the, the interesting thing about utility companies is they function on a cost recovery model, right? So when they, when they bid something out or they look at a contract, um, you know, it, if there's not a competitive bid type process in place or they're not bidding as competitively as they could, um, it, they're not incentivized to really care that much about the, the price the cost. because it's yeah. cost recovery, right? Like it's, and guess who recovery is? That's you and me, right? That's the people, that's the businesses, that's the individuals out there paying a utility bill. And so, um, you know, we felt we have been fighting this in several states. Uh, there were a few states this year that that knocked theirs down. Wisconsin knocked it down last year. They're they're uh, fighting it again this year. It keeps popping up. Um, and you know, the driving force behind it are utility companies. And I'm always skeptical when a utility company is lobbying so heavily for a bill. Um, why would they, unless it's in their favor, right? right. And so. So the uh, so that that passing got signed as well. Um, like I said, there may be some judicial pieces that pop up down the road. It has not worked its way through the courts completely yet. Uh, so we're hoping that you know that the 
constitutionality of that will come into question and that um, perhaps uh, perhaps that something further will happen there. Um, you know, there were there were some good bills around uh, that just like I said, just didn't come out of committee. Um, we actually had a certificate of need bill. Um, uh, we got one vote that failed in a committee around uh, substance abuse uh, facilities. We also also had one for you know for mental health, um, but uh, you know we we did have some bills that passed along those lines that do some good things. Uh, but uh, in terms of removing certificate of need, that's still a, a an area where we we're going to continue that fight. And so we've just finished a new curriculum to educate. Um, the citizens of Mississippi about certificate of need. And so, well, real, uh, real briefly, just explain exactly what it is and how, how it does, it kind of protects the p- current players in the marketplace and reduces sure, uh, competition, sure. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And in some cases kind of gives them the, the, uh, what shall we say, the right to refuse that competition. Right. Right. So it's basically permission slip from the government to do business. And in this case, uh, for Mississippi, the piece that's so important is the healthcare aspect, right? And it's all pieces of healthcare, whether it is those mental health, substance abuse, uh, hospitals, ambulatory center, uh, centers, and on and on and on. It, it can affect even individuals who are, say, you know, in a specific part of the healthcare industry op- opening up or are competing for businesses. And so Mississippi continues to go the conglomerate hospital route. Uh, rather than opening up competition. And as we know, competition drives costs down. And there's study after study uh, showing that certificate of states with certificate of need uh, in place, uh, it's driven up healthcare costs. Sure. Um, and so, so there's a lot of states that have already repealed either portions of it or all of it. Um, we just hope that Mississippi will 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 get there, that we'll that we'll do away with it. Um, you know, my question to a lot of people is what have you got to lose? Um, I, there, I don't know what the fear is and I, and it's hard for me to wrap my head around it from a logical standpoint of what is the fear of competition coming into the marketplace? Uh, because at the end of the day, um, healthcare should be about consumers. It should be about the patients, right? So whether it's the doctor patient relationship, um, you know, that type of thing, um, we we have a crisis in our country, not you know, not just in Mississippi. Like it's all over. I mean, it's there are some extenuating circumstances here that are worse than some other states in terms of the amount of people with the ability to pay. And I understand all that. But if costs are driven down, if we if we get away from this notion that we treat healthcare differently than any other industry when it comes to competition. Um, I, I think some of the fears people will lose jobs or they will lose this or lose that. And it's always about protecting something or somebody rather than about the people of Mississippi uh, actually getting the care they need. Yeah, and, and, so, and that's in an industry that is just known for being wildly unaffordable. I mean, the, the prices have just skyrocketed. So it, it seems like any resistance to competition just makes no sense, we, uh, particularly in a Republican state where supposedly we understand that competition drives prices down. Right. Um, yeah, that's been a very disappointing for, thing for us as an organization. Um, this session um, is understanding that uh, that process here doesn't seem to to be, um, you know, as prevalent as we think it should be. And so we want to keep working on that. And so one of the things that we think the best way to do that is, you know, uh, what separates us from a lot of organizations is our grassroots capability. And so uh, we're going to be spending some time where we've put together, I think, a fairly good and strategic plan that we're working through 
on taking this message out to people because what we found is generally when we talk about certificate of need within the first 15 minutes, people understand that sure. this is a permission slip from the government to provide healthcare, right? Or to care. We have a permission to care, uh, you know, type websites out there that we've, we've done with studies in other states. And so um, people don't like it when they hear about it, but most people don't know it exists. And so we're going to continue uh, being out there in communities um, and around the state. We, we're going to uh, be spending some time in, in all four corners and letting people know about this. Um, we've we've brought in speakers. We've started to educate uh, other entities. Certainly our coalition partners that are with us understand this as well. And so we're working alongside with them. But I think, um, I think we'll be able to bring back uh, a bill again next year. I, I think for me, the, the whole piece of not voting for, for those who voted no, and we, we posted those no votes on our social media, what, what was difficult for us to understand was was why on a subs, on a bill that only wanted to repeal on substance abuse facilities, um, you know we have a we have mental health and substance abuse issues in our state. The the numbers on the data are quite high. Um, there there are some other bills out there to approach different pieces of that. But you know what what's the worst that's going to happen if you remove remove that certificate of need in that area? Someone might come in and open up a facility. Right. That. You know that that's successful and helps people. Um, yeah. Well, the, so the bottom I, line is you're going against a big lobby, aren't you? I mean, we, uh, yeah. Yeah. The people yeah, have got absolutely. a lot of money who control those systems in the state right now, and so that's what you're up against. And you know, public sure. education is tough. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna continue. You know, we're gonna continue this fight because we we solidly believe. Um, and and look, I I do believe in 2025 at the federal level we're going to see some some changes and some hopefully some real solutions even coming uh, at that level in government around healthcare because we can't continue on this path. Right. Like th this path is not going to be sustainable. And when you look at state budgets around the country and you look at the percentage of them that go towards um, uh, healthcare type pieces, you know, of, of that budget, it's starting to consume stuff. And so then when you see a decline in things like infrastructure or a decline in, in other things that we believe are the proper role of government, um, if you wonder why, there's no money left over when you start looking at all of the entitlement programs and the and the and the the pieces out there around that. And so, you know, it's kind of like uh, there's you know there was a lot of talk this year about uh, Medi Medicaid expansion, a, a small portion of it, um, certainly. Uh, was expanded, but the um, or, or was was reviewed, but the overall expansion is what I'm what I'm talking about was the conversations. And so the here's the thing with that. Um, there's there's I, I tell you there's... what, Starla, let's let's take a break real quick, and then I want to come okay. back because that's such a big issue. I do want to spend just a couple of minutes on it. So okay. uh, we're talking to Starla Brown with Americans for Prosperity. They're down there uh, fighting the good fight with our legislative session. Uh, this year, we'll get a little bit more update on that here, a little bit about Medicare expansion and finish up next segment. So everybody stick around. Maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the one who is a schizophrenic psycho, yeah. Maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the one who is a schizophrenic psycho. All right, we are back. 
This is the Mike Madison Show. We're talking to Starla Brown with Americans for Prosperity. So, Starla, let's uh, real quick. We only got a few minutes left, but I did want to hear a little bit about Medicare expansion, um, where that you know where that's looking to end up, and then uh, we want to make sure we everybody knows how they can get on to your information and see how everybody voted this year in the legislature. That's tremendously important in an election year. Sure. Um, so, with Medicaid expansion, the the issue that we see um, around this is you're taking a system that was initially um, put for, you know, put in place for the neediest of the neediest, right? It's supposed to, and there are people out there, we understand, we don't want to say that there aren't actual needs, right, uh, across society, uh, but um, it was put in place for that, the neediest of the needy, right? And so by expanding it and doing the things that we continue to do, we keep opening it up to more people. And then you're, you're putting, able-bodied uh, working Americans into this plan and it's it's become a very broken system, right? It doesn't function well. The healthcare is not as good as it could be, right? There, there's, there's issues there. But the, the problem becomes is that we keep doing things in the healthcare market uh, that are not solution oriented. They're not patient and doctor centered, right? Uh, and they're not competitive, and they're not free market oriented, right? And as we continue to do that, the the notion becomes with a lot of legislative bodies is to let's just expand Medicaid. Let's throw more money at something that's broken. Right. And what is the VA or Medicaid expansion? The public school systems, everything else. That mindset has gotten us into a lot of places where we now face some of the worst policy or worst systems, if you will, that are that are functioning in our country. And they're functioning with enormous amounts of money being thrown at them, and yet they're function they're dysfunctional, right? And yeah. so the problem is, is that's always the solution. Well, hey, let's just go over here. We'll we'll put some more money into it. And that'll fix it. And we never get to the root cause. We never sit down and really look at what else could we do. Absolutely. And there are so many other things out there. So I think that yeah. kind of sums up Medicaid expansion for us. Uh, we're we're going to continue to oppose that um, uh, and and look for better solutions. And we believe there there are some out there. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to thepersonaloption.com. So it's personaloption.com. You can just Google the personal option or whatever browser you use. And uh, AFP has a website out there full of information um, and solutions. All right. Uh, Real quickly, in about 30 seconds, anything else anyone needs to pay attention to right now? And then make sure you tell everybody where they can find y'all. Yeah. So right now we're just, you know, we're going through the last pieces of the session. There's a few things out there still undone, but uh, for the most part, uh, you know, there are some good there are some good bills that still might make it through, and we're we're hopeful for that, and we're going to continue to work at the Capitol, um, and and do that. Um, grassroots, we're knocking doors already. So if you're interested in talking to people about issues at their doorstep, uh, you can uh, join us. You can uh, follow us at AF, uh, AFP, our Americans for Prosperity Mississippi, um, and we'll have our events up there. We were just out this Saturday knocking doors, talking to people about issues, and we want to continue to do that continuing our torchbearer clubs uh, in Meridian, Starkville, and Jackson area, and hoping to expand those into a couple more cities here soon. Okay, great. Well, keep us posted on any events you have. We definitely want to let people know how they can get involved and come. It's it's always great for them to come meet y'all and see what you do uh, firsthand. I think that's very engaging. So we'll try to talk about that as well. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much. That's Starla Brown, Americans for Prosperity. That's all the time we got for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye-bye. Oh,
Oh, school.